UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Appreciate you. This is awesome, Mike. I'm gonna hit my intro and you go right ahead. Okay. Another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest with me tonight. This is his return to uh, my show. This is the second time he's been on my show because he has a film that I really believe in. Um, it's it's something that I thought needed to come out to the public because I, because what what I'm noticing and honestly is is like that there is this phenomena, the abduction phenomena. It might be waning a little bit now. I'm not sure if it's you know. I mean, some people tell me they're still having experiences, but it's not like it was in the early 2000s and the 90s and the 80s. But what I want to do is really shed light on what was going on and what still is going on because it was it was like a, a almost like a some people it was a plague, some people it was a spiritual transformation. So it was a lot of different things to a lot of people. But one thing that I want to impress on is that it was really happening, that these were real events, that these people weren't having just sleep paralysis. <clears throat> this was this was something that was going on. And, and who I have with me tonight is uh, John Yost. He's uh, the filmmaker of the movie Alien Abduction Answers, which provides answers to these questions that I'm asking. Um, my guest, he's an actor, producer, director, and experiencer. John's prestigious career began under the jurisprudence of the U.S. Treasury Department, relocating overseas for various lengths of time. He attained a U.S. Customs Broker's License and was paid consultant to the FBI International Trade Matters. After 10 years, he left his position and left Sada a childhood dream. In four years, John had successfully earned an invitation and a membership with SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, which is, you know, acting, and then after the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and then the AEA, Actors' Equity Association. Um, he had appeared on stage in both regionally and off-Broadway on film and television. He's here to share his amazing experiences with unknown entities that began at age seven, as well as his insights into his new documentary film, Alien Abduction Answers. And uh, you can all go watch the movie on streaming platforms. I got mine on YouTube, and it's also on Amazon Prime. And with all that said, I want to give him a big warm welcome <clears> to the <throat> show. John, thank you for coming back on. How are you? Thank you, Robert, for having me back. Uh, you know, I miss talking to you. Uh, we're uh, we're yeah. countrymen in a way. We're, we're we're from the same city. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, and, but what I wanted to ask you was like, I you heard like kind of like my speech at the beginning, and I think you're the perfect person to ask this to because you kind of came at this like you were having experiences when you were a kid 
but then you kind of came at it not as an, an outsider, but like you came it from a, maybe from a little bit of a skeptical perspective. You were trying to understand what was happening to you as a kid, but then you kind of came into this phenomenon. You learned a lot that this was really happening to people. Is that is that correct? Yeah, you're you're right. I I um I had experiences when I was a kid, and I could remember them absolutely letter for letter, detail for detail. And, um, but I was told to lie about them when I was a kid. And so I lied about them all my life. The problem though, is that during this, I actually received marks on my body and they're here to this day. And um, I, I could never explain them any other way. And, and it was difficult sometimes in situations and conversations to try to avoid them. So I would, I'd make up silly things like, uh, yeah, I was bit by a shark. Uh, or I got hit by lightning or whatever. But, you know, if you think about it, it, it was a very, it was kind of a smart thing to do because what it did was it diffused the conversation. You know, in three seconds or eight seconds, people went, ah, you're full of crap. And they just let it go. I never had to get into it because the last thing you ever wanted to do was to tell somebody, hey, listen, you know, I was abducted when I was a kid. And, um, but I was, I was, I don't want to say I was skeptical. You're the skeptic, man. But I'll tell you what I was. I I dreaded the truth. Um, I I wanted Robert. I'm going to tell you something, man. I wanted it to be child abuse. Think about this. Think about this for a second. I wanted to find out that somehow my father had hurt me or my mom had put out cigarettes on me because you know what your whole audience would look at me and go, oh, you know, the poor kid that makes total sense and everything else. Not that I was taken by a non-human intelligence. That's a harder thing to wrap your arm around. You know what I mean? So. Uh, oh, yeah, that, it, it definitely yeah. is. I mean, and then, I mean, like, once you start to realize that this is happening to, like, I mean, I think you said it in your film. It's like hundreds of thousands of people around the world, correct? Well, I found out that it was actually millions. Um, and oh it, it's stag yeah, it's staggering. Because you have to remember, we have, you know, we have billions of people on the planet, right? And so uh, hundreds of thousands were, uh, first of all, I thought I was alone. And then when I started to do the research and bump into other people, I found that there were many. And then I found out there were hundreds of thousands. In fact, in the film, we quote uh, the millions, um, according to a Roper poll. And if you honestly, in your life or anybody in, in your audience, if you ask anybody, say 100 people that you know, and just say, hey, has anything ever strange or other happened to you guys that you could not explain? I'm going to tell you about 80% of those people will have said, you know, there's this one thing in my life I could never explain. Now, I'm not saying that all those people are abducted, but what I'm saying is there's something that's happening that is outside the normal range of normal human experience that is affecting us as a species. And I think somehow all of these things are connected. You know, you, you had mentioned at the very beginning that this abduction phenomena has changed or it has uh, reduced. I think you were right the first time. Uh, according to my experience, my personal experience, and also my engagement with other people who have had these types of experiences, they are modifying. But, you know, think about it this way, Robert. Everything in your life changes. Just recently, you moved to a new place, right? Just recently, yeah. I, got a, I, got a, I got a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. I mean, yeah, you know, three weeks ago, I didn't know that. So these things happen. Your relationships change with your parents. Your relationships change with everything. So why not would this relationship change? We always try to put things in boxes and make them stagnant because that's easy for us to control. But the truth is nobody is just two-dimensional. 
we're very complicated entities ourselves. So think about even how much more complicated this other is, this alien, this, this, you know, this ultra terrestrial or, or interterrestrial is, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I love the fact that you said that we, you're not really putting a label on it because well, I don't think we know what it is. I don't think we know if it's uh, interdimensional or extraterrestrial or coming yeah. from a, another reality or, an, or through portals yeah. or wormholes. Or, yeah, yeah. And Robert, to your point, to your point, listen, it could be many things. Two things can be true at the same time. Right. If you say, um, I, yeah, I don't want to take anybody off it, but if you say, listen, um, there are white people in England. Okay. If you just said that, if there are white people in England, well, that doesn't mean there aren't white people in South Africa. That doesn't mean there aren't white people in America. Right. Okay. So two things can be true at the same time. There could be, and I truly believe this. I, I believe that we are experiencing several different types of phenomena. I think, number one, we have, as a species, human beings, experienced things from the very beginning of our time. You know, people always talked about lights in the forest or the wee people or the brownies or elves or fairies, whatever. There's some sort of consciousness that's kind of coexisted with us since the very beginning. Now, if you took a teenager today and threw him out in the forest, he would immediately say, oh, those are aliens, right? But that was an experience that was happening to our people forever. Also, you know, there are, I truly believe that we got nuts and bolts craft that are coming and going either through tech or through some sort of other uh, side power, whatever, portals, this sort of thing. And when people find it hard to believe that, I said, you know what? Here's the truth. I don't know if you know this, but human beings, we are sending ships to all the planets in our solar system, all of them. And you know what? We go and we take pictures. And we take measurements. And I can guarantee you, if we found a three-headed elk somewhere, we would come down in Blackhawk helicopters and tag it, right? And check its migrant uh, patterns. So we've got this. But then also we've got this other thing. And this was the last thing you were talking about. You know, we, we have experienced as human beings something that people smarter than me have termed ultra-terrestrial or intra-terrestrial. These are somehow entities or consciousnesses that have somehow pierced the veil, literally pushed themselves into our dimension, interacted for a while, and then popped out of existence. Now, for your audience that might have a hard time understanding that, I tell little stories to help me understand them, so let me share something with you. Let's suppose, Robert, that you and I are standing beside a pond, and maybe I told you this little story, but okay, so I stick my face in the pond, right? Literally, piercing that dimension, pushing myself into the water, right? And a fish comes up and sees my face. Now, I don't look like any other fish. I don't move like any other fish. This fish is shocked. He sees this, he loses his mind. Well, eventually I have to get some air, so I literally pop back out of his dimension. He goes off, tells his friends, they come back, there's no proof, and they say, ah, you're a liar. And then he goes off and starts a cult, right? But watch this. <laughs> right? Right? So watch this, though. The nuance is very, very important. Well, that fish saw my face, right? That fish has no concept that my face is attached to a head. That's attached to a neck, a body that lives an entire different life. I might not give a damn about this fish. I might have just been curious. But now this fish has dedicated his life to the pursuit of my face. Or I miss God or whatever. Okay, 
there is there is something happening here where these worlds are becoming thin and either through tech or through some sort of consciousness power or or ability that they are crossing and we are seeing these things that literally defy our physics and then blink out of existence and we are left grasping with that truth and trying to understand it yeah and they they just had the uh sent the, the u.s congressional hearing i was telling my my audience that i was gonna maybe try to stream it somehow i, I don't know i'd love for people to see that because it seems like the government i mean from what they're telling us okay that's what they're telling us and what they actually know that's two different things i, I think what they mm-hmm. show the public is a whole different charade than what they actually really know besides like but I, but then also I think there's black projects going on. I know there's black projects going on. I mean I can't prove it, but I know there's black projects going on where they, you know, some of these government people aren't even told about it. That there's sure. certain sectors of government that are held secret that we might have reverse engineered craft. And I always tell people it's like, well, where did we get that craft? It had to come yeah. from somewhere. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, Robert, once again, two things can be true at the same time. You know, for when you think about the government, and I'm not talking about the U.S. government, I'm talking about all governments, right? They only do two things. They're like sharks. Sharks eat and reproduce, right? Okay. So if you got bit by a shark, you might be mad, but you wouldn't you wouldn't say, well, that doesn't make any sense. No, of course, the shark bit you. So governments control. They control where you go, how fast you drive, who you marry, you know, how much you pay in taxes, and they collect money. So they can control some more. That's what they do. Now, you might be mad at that, but that's what governments do, no matter where you are on the planet. So they control information. I I always love the fact that they denied that there was an Area 51 for years and years and years until finally there was a reporter standing outside the sign that says Area 51 or whatever. And he goes, well, well, yeah, I guess we do have it. Of course they're lying. Of course they're obfuscating because they must control the information. But... I'll tell you something that's really interesting. And this is something that I think is one of these watershed moments that people were always yelling about something. You know, we want to be right. We're yelling. We're on the phone. We're on, you know, TV. We're on YouTube. Watch the nuance of this thing. Watch this. So you got really like three types of people in the world. You got people who say, hey, all this stuff is bunk and you're full of crap and you're crazy and you get, where's your tinfoil hat, right? Then you have this other kind of people that say, well, you know, theoretically, I guess that could be, but, you know, uh, what does that have to do with me, right? And then you got you and me down at the end of the cul-de-sac, and we're having a weenie roast, waiting for everybody to catch up, right? So watch this. These, these, government, these government hearings and this stuff comes out in the newspaper. Okay. Half of us say, hey, it's not enough, and this is a bunch of BS, right? The other half say, holy crap, this is going to be disclosure. Okay. But watch what the truth is. Let's boil this down and watch what happens to us as a people. And this is why I say it's a watershed moment. Take a look at the three types of people and how it affects them. The first type of people say, ah, you're all full of crap and everything else. Watch this. They say, wait a minute. What? You mean our government's studying this stuff? What are they looking at? And they, for the first time, first time, man, in their lives, they look up. Now, they never looked up before, so they can never see anything, right? They were never open to it. But watch this. Let's push it even further. Not only do they look up because they believe now authorities that they trust. They don't trust you. They don't trust me because we're crazy people. But they trust the government. So they finally look up. 
and they look up with a sense of duty because it could be the Russians or it could be Chinese or it could be whatever. And on top of that, they look up with expectation because the authorities that they believe are sane have said, yes, we have captured this stuff. So it completely changes that paradigm. And I, hey, I will bet you dimes to donuts in 10 years from now when all this stuff really comes out, those guys are going to be the ones at parties who go, well, you know, I always saw them. And I just did. I didn't want to scare the rest of you good folks, this sort of thing. Now, take a look at the second types of people. The second types of people say, well, you know, theoretically, but what does it have to do with us? They read the same reports. They see this stuff on CNN or Fox and they go, hey, what are they looking at? And they look up. Same sort of thing. So if you can think of this like the first domino and the second domino, what happens is that all roads lead to your show. And so we only have, you know, a couple weenies and we have to go to 7-Eleven, grab some more. Because there are so many more people who are coming down and saying, hey, what the hell's going on? You know, I thought you were full of crap, but now I understand there's something something here. What can, help me out understand this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like they don't want to touch on the the uh, like the your like they don't want to touch on the experience or stuff, though. Right. Like no, they, they, no. They, they won't entertain that for a heartbeat, like for some reason. Well, but, well, can well, I tell you one, one thing, sure. John? That, I'm sorry. Please. One thing that really like like got me into, I mean, like, I was always an Art Bell fan, you know that, but I mean, like, I started looking at the work of Dr. John Mack, Bud Hopkins, oh, yeah. David Jacobs, and then Whitley Strieber. Um, what really did it for me was the communion letters. Yeah. And if anybody hasn't read the communion letters, I would strongly advise someone to read it. And Whitley Strieber's in your film. But what I wanted to say about these communion letters, though, is these were letters that people had submitted to Whitley Strieber and his wife about their experiences. And they weren't looking for any fame. They weren't looking for any, um, they weren't looking for anything. They just wanted their experience to be heard. And I found that a lot of times I get those emails too. That's what a lot of skeptics, I mean, I'm a skeptic myself, but the people sure. who are skeptics, they don't understand is that I get these emails from people saying, Hey, I just had this weird experience. I don't know how to process it. Can you help me? And I'm like, well, I wish I knew. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I know a little bit, but I don't know enough. But yeah. for anybody who's interested in the phenomena, I would direct them to two things, the communion letters and your film. Like, what, what are your thoughts on what I just said, though? Well, I, th I think you have your finger right on the pulse of everything. Here, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is one of the reasons. Well, there are two reasons why my film is different than any other film that you've seen in the genre. And you know this because you've seen it. Is this every other film that people have seen, UFO or, or, or alien abduction or anything, they're usually like third person narratives. You know, you see a clip and then you hear Walter Winchell in the background, you know, back in 1947, that's kind of thing. But you know, from the very beginning, you're in the middle of the film. You're inside the film. You're experiencing this stuff. You're seeing it in real life. And it's scary because it's completely unknown and you're out of control. And um, for me, that's exactly what it was. And it was that struggle to control. One of the things that I, I have to tell you that totally blew me away was this. You know, when I was, it became so bad that I couldn't be out under a big sky. I would run to a door. I would run and walk in, you know, to my office with somebody else because I was petrified. Now, I'm, I'm not a small guy, Robert. I'm like 6'3 and 270. I'm not really afraid of many things. I was petrified like a little kid. And what I didn't understand was this. How could people have these experiences and then go, you know, grocery shopping or pay bills? I mean, this was so impressive to me. And I realized that so many people were suffering like this. And so my film is for experiencers. It's for people who are interested in the topic, but also 
people who say, listen, man, I have lived through something incredible. And that's what you find in my film. When people watch this film, they might like me, they might not like me. But you know, <clears throat> this movie's not about me. It's about us. And you see these people who look like your mom or your dad or the guy who owns the shop down the street. And you hear these stories and I put you inside their experiences. We literally put you inside. And you say, my God, man, I, I, I can relate with that. That makes sense to me. This, this maybe is too crazy for me or I don't get that, but I get this and I get this. And, and what's happening is that we are starting to realize that it's not a mental condition or child abuse or whatever. Yes, part of that can be in there. I've met some crazy people. Trust me. I've met the mermaid people who want to make me the mermaid king and have the mermaid babies. I've met those people too. But 99% of these people are people who don't want anything. They're scared. They don't understand it. And they are just desperately trying to grapple with an experience that they cannot explain. I, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, and uh, one thing that I wanted to, to bring up is, and you go over this in your film, is the uh, – the, the hybridization stuff that always freaked me out like because that's a big part of this it's it's like uh, um, you know every time these things end up coming around whatever they are they're always taking DNA from men and women I mean and you have that in your film right yeah yeah and there, and there are a couple of aspects of that that are important to think about uh, first of all first of all you know we as human beings we think that we're the top of the pyramid right we're the top of the food chain so the idea of something being in control of us or having a, a accessibility to our DNA or wanting to harvest us, that literally crushes the ego and petrifies us as a species and as individuals. So we reject it outright. This is one of the reasons that the government and people won't talk about it, uh, you know, the experience or uh, phenomenon. They don't want to touch it because that is like sacrosanct. You know, OK, listen, a bright, shiny light in the sky, that's one thing, right? But up close and personal, and you take me, and then you're going to take my DNA and this sort of thing, that is freaking frightening, right? And um, so that that's the first aspect of it. The second aspect of it is this, is that for the entities that are taking this, there's a, there's a why in the road, man. You know, <clears throat> you can see it uh, from a scientific point of view where, where, you know, we, you know, as human beings, we take samples, genetic material from all kinds of different animals. But our ego refuses to believe that we might not be at the top of the pyramid. But then also, this is referencing, and I don't know about you or your audience, but I mean, this is an age-old tale, a very age-old tale. This was talked about in the Epic of Gilgamesh. This was talked about by the Sumerians. This is talked about in the Old Testament, where the sons of God, came to the earth and literally mated with the women of this planet and produced hybrids. I mean, this is a story that's been around with us for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, there are quite a few people who believe this is another attempt by those quote unquote sons of God to hybridize the human being. And uh, they consider it a very big danger because, you know, we are human beings, meaning that we're created in the, you know, in the image of God. And so we're perfect as is. And if you mess with that, then you destroy your salvation, you destroy everything. And I think there's a lot to that. But I mean, see what I'm saying? And then also, here's another cherry on that crazy Sunday. Not all of these encounters involve that 
you know, genetic testing. Some are mind to mind. Some are spiritual journeys. Some are. And so what I'm trying to say is that we have to understand that this thing, whatever this is, is an elephant. There's no way to wrap our arms all the way around. We can grab a tusk. We can grab a trunk. We can grab a tail. But we're kind of at a disadvantage. You know, we don't understand it. We don't have the tools to really understand it. So what we're doing is we're grabbing this tusk and we go, um, this is a spear. Okay, well, it's long and pointy, but it's not a spear. No, no, it's a spear. I'm sure it is. And we plant our flag. We as human beings, we want to be, I think I talked to you about this before. We're so desperate to be right that we don't give a damn about being correct. And my, my proof is this. You're on social media, right? So post, yeah. post on social media, happy Wednesday, right? You get a thousand people who say, what the hell do you have against Thursday? Then you have another thousand people say, you're a Tuesday denier, right? And so you go, what the hell are we fighting about? We're fighting about nothing. Well, think about this. If we're fighting about nothing, these huge, huge topics are absolutely impossible for us to come to some sort of understanding together. And that, by the way, is really what we need to do. Because this is not affecting one person, as you said. This is affecting millions. And in my film, you see these people. Some of them are elated. Some of them are spiritually charged. Some of them, like myself, are absolutely terrified. That, that's, that's fascinating. One, one thing that uh, I wanted to go over is uh, the, the phenomena over time has been, I think this is kind of why we can't get a grasp on it, because it's been somewhat like, not just somewhat, but very elusive. It's like nobody can seem to catch a photo with their iPhone of an alien. That, that mm. seems like when they get to that point, they don't even go for their phone because they're either too terrified or their phone doesn't work or something happens. And I'm not making excuses for those people because I don't know what happens because I'm not an experiencer. But like, I don't know why. It's, I think that the phenomena makes itself elusive. I, I don't think it wants to be identified. What, do you, what would you say to that? I, I, I concur. I concur. Um, but, but let's make it even more simple. Okay. Let's just say this in the phenomena, we, you, you, me, us species, we are not in control. Think about this. We didn't go to their ship or their planet or their underground, wherever we didn't go to them and we're not observing them. They're in total control of us. You know, um, Jane Goodall, who, uh, was the lady who did all the big documentaries and studies of the great apes, right? What she did was she, um, what she did was habitualize, which, meaning that instead of taking animals and studying, what she did was she would camp in the same place every single day. And they, the apes would see her and they would notice this and whatever. And then of course they act aggressively, but then after some time, they became used to her presence. And then after some time, this took years, after some time, they would get closer and closer and closer. But the truth is the person who was in control of that situation was her because she could stand up, get into her Range Rover and take off at any time she wanted. Right. And so this is what we're experiencing. We would like to, once again, because of our egos, would like to control the situation. But it is elusive, number one, because it's so, I hate to use this term, but so alien to us. It's completely different. And, and you know what, here's, here's a way to understand this, you know, on our planet, right this second, you have all kinds of different cultures, right? 
You have all kinds of different people that look all kinds of different ways. There are some people that wear black to a funeral, right? There are some people who wear white to a funeral. There are some people in, in, in some countries that after a big meal, if you, you know, I hate to be crass, but if you belch, it's a compliment to the chef, right? If you did that in my presence, I would think you were very rude. Now watch this. We're all the same people, right? We're all the same species, but we have these cultural differences. So now take this and say, okay, well, you're an entity from an entirely different environs, entirely different culture, entirely different uh, biology, and we're trying to communicate. And of course, it's not going to make sense. Of course, I'm going to think you're lying. Of course, I'm going to say, well, you're not answering me the way I want to be answered, or you're not showing me what I want to be shown. Maybe in their culture, that's the way they communicate. Maybe their biology is faster than ours, or their, you know, everything that you see, I'm sitting at a desk, you know, this is a hard desk, a wall, a wood desk. But our physicists will tell us that there is huge space between these atoms and molecules. The reason that we can't go through them, put our hand through them, is because we move at the same speed or slower. But if we were able to raise our energy, raise our vibration, we literally could put our hand through it. So guess what? If you either through tech or consciousness uh, tools can literally raise your vibration, come into a room without using a door and then go back out, I'm going to call you elusive, right? Okay, yeah. but, it's, but it's something that we just don't understand because we can't grasp it. The, here, here's a final example. You know, if you and I are standing on a hill, okay, we're soldiers, right? And it's midnight and we're looking down the hill. And we see the bad guys coming. We can see a little bit. So we put on our night vision glasses, right? And we can see the bad guys coming towards us. Okay, well, then this is what I do. I take off the glasses and I go, wow, Robert, that was close. I'm glad they're gone now. Well, that's ridiculous, right? They're still there. You're about to have a much more successful night than me because I'm going to get caught unawares. What we're doing is we do not possess the tools to see this stuff, to engage this stuff 100%. You know, our eyes can only see this much of the spectrum. Our ears can only hear this much of the spectrum, right? And we are grappling with a, a phenomena that is outside. And then also you layer on top of that the fact that we are trying to deal with something that's so alien that scares the hell out of us that, um, that we kind of isolate ourselves. You know, in the film, as you saw, you know, there were screen memories and screen memories basically act like a an emotional blister, if you will, to protect your mind, your consciousness, your spirit from something that's so strange. This is why kids who go through trauma uh, usually have screen memories to, you know, kind of isolate or box off those bad memories. And so all of that stuff, man, I know that's a word salad, but the truth of the matter is that's the antipasta that we're dealing with. It's all in there. And uh, it's so difficult to pull a, a single string. So do you believe that it's the entities themselves that are creating the screen memory? Or do you think that's our mind that's creating the screen memory? That's I think a good it, I, 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 yeah, I think it's two things. I think, number one, in some cases, it is our mind trying to buffer us. You know, you have a lot of people who see owls, right, or big cats. Uh, I heard one guy said he saw a deer that was standing on two legs. Didn't make any sense to him on the side of the road. Okay, I think that part of that is us protecting us. But I also believe that in certain cases, 
um, these are projected images into our mind to relieve stress and allow us to comply. In my particular case, I found out that my screen memory, which was of a character that I'd seen on TV a thousand times as a little boy, uh, which was called Ultra Man, um, it was on Japanese television, that was a screen memory that was literally projected into my mind to make me um, supplicant, that I would go with this entity so I would not be afraid. And uh, I was fighting through that. And so we as people, you know, and Whitley Strieber mentions it in, in the film. He said, look, you know, that screen memory acts as two things, you know, for us. You know, okay, are you going to accept the screen memory as, oh, that's what happened. It was a deer on two legs. Or are you going to push through? You know, can you, does your curiosity and your need to know overcome your fear? Can you push through to the other side to find that out? And that's exactly what happened to me, Robert. And that's why I had to make the film. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And then, and then uh, you actually had a, a sighting too. Could you talk about that? And when you were filming, like that was a that was a uh, that was an amazing sighting, right? Yeah. Uh, well, there were a lot of sightings, uh, and, and there was the, the story that pushed me to do this film. Like I said, you know, I lied about it almost all my life, forty five years plus. And um, and what happened was this: I was I, I'm in the television business and film business. This is what I do for a living. You know, I make silly commercials. I make serious commercials. I make films, I make TV shows. And uh, I was on a shoot. This is about three and a half years ago, four years ago. And I was at a place called Borrego Springs, California. And um, as I told you, as I told you, I hadn't talked about this to anybody, but nobody in my family, nothing. And um, I was, I was on the shoot. It was a normal shoot. And we were in the middle of this, Borrego Springs is like a desert. It's very flat. It's arid. And we had rented this really big um, uh, ranch house. There were 15, 16, 17 people with us. So we wanted to kind of control the cats, if you understand, right? We didn't want them to roam. And we had gone out into the desert, shot, <clears throat> and we came back in. It was like two or three in the morning. And behind this house, there's a big pool. Everybody was out there having a drink, you know, a nightcap. And um, I came out and they handed me a glass. We're going to make a toast. So I raised my hand and I could see a glint of light in the glass. And I thought, that's really, that's strange. Oh, well, that, you know, your mind says, oh, what is it? That's the moon. That's what I thought. And I said, wait a second. Wait a second. I'm the producer on this. There's no moon. I scheduled the shoot for the night that there's no moon because we wanted to control the light. And I'm confused by this. This is all happening in seconds. And I drop my glass and I'm looking at the house, the pool's behind me. And above the house, about 30 feet in the air, is this blue, green, kind of self-luminous egg-shaped type thing. I am, I looked at this like, what the hell is that? And then, you know, your mind kicks in again. You're trying to identify it. You're trying to identify it. And I say, ah, you know what that is? That's a Mylar balloon, like a get well balloon or a happy birthday metallic balloon. And then my mind said, wait a second, that can't be, that's as big as a Volkswagen, right? What the, and I'm, I'm confused. And one of my camera guys, his name's Scotty, I, I grabbed him and I turned him, he was facing the pool, to look. And he says, oh my, just then, everybody around the pool, like I said, there's like 15 people, 16, 17 people, they turn and look and they're saying, oh wow, is that a UFO? Holy crap, is that a ghost? What is this, what is this? And we're all staring at this thing. This thing, Robert, I'm gonna tell you something, man. I have never seen anything move so fast like that. It went zig, zig, zig and stopped right above my head. 
And I don't know how long it was there. It could have been there a millisecond. It could have been there an hour. I do not know. But what happened to me was this. My stomach dropped. And I could feel a feeling that I had not felt since I was seven years old. I felt like the world dropped out from underneath me. I've explained it this way. If, if you or your audience has ever been on a beach and you're standing on the beach and the water rolls up over your ankles and then as it goes back out, it starts to pull the sand out from underneath your feet and you feel like you're falling back, that's the way it felt for me. And I was immediately petrified because I had remembered all those facts from way, way back, but the emotional content of it never, I, I, I boxed that away. That was the screen memory. I kept that away from me. But I, it came crashing down on me. And so this thing then zips away from me about 20 feet. And everybody is still buzzing. Oh, this is cool. What is that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then it just drifts off into the desert. It's very flat there. So we watched it for like a minute and a half, two minutes. Everybody is humming about this. And I am dying. I'm dying inside. I make some stupid comment, joke, and I go to the room that was mine. And I'm not proud of this, but I barricaded the door with the bed and my luggage. And I sat in a corner and I cried like a little boy. And you have to understand, this is not some 50-year-old guy dealing with something. This is a seven-year-old kid who had never dealt with something, right? And I was so furious with myself. You know, as a producer and a director, you know, you have to be in control of yourself. You have to, you're controlling a lot of money. It's usually not yours. You have to check a lot of boxes. You got to be anal retentive, this whole thing. And I was furious with myself. So I had a very fitful night, didn't sleep very much at all. I got up, I'm going to hit the showers, grab that coffee, go kick ass, right? And I go, I do it, I'm ready. I can't walk out the door. I'm literally petrified of that sky. I'm petrified. And um, it was embarrassing and it was humiliating and I was incensed. I, I get through the shoot, okay, and I get back to the coast. Thank God for Irish whiskey. I get back to the coast. But when I get off that plane... My family and friends knew that there was something wrong. And this thing started to take me over. The fear the literally crippled me. It terrified me. And I couldn't function. I couldn't function as a director. I couldn't function as a, as a producer. I, I was losing my mind, and I was affecting my personal life. And, um, and so I, I wanted to find out how people reacted. I realized I was nobody special, right? I figured, look, I, this can't have just happened to me. This had to happen to somebody else. And so I tried to find people. I read a little bit, and I tried to find people that it had happened to. And I wanted to interview them to say, how did you cope with this? I did, I'm not proud of this, but I was not, I didn't give a damn what their experiences were at the beginning. I'm just being honest with you. I wanted to know how the hell they lived with it, right? And so that led me to talk to a lot of people. Eventually then, that led me to share a little bit about mine, my experience. And then what happened was, and you know, because you've seen the film, I could talk about this encounter, all every detail, except one detail. There was a time when somehow there were all these flashing lights and I got interpolated with this entity. You know, his, my back was in a bathroom, his back was in a hallway, and then we suddenly got switched around where my back was in the hallway and his back. I could not tell you what happened. And so that was the germ that the film starts in. How did that happen? And what we find out through the film is that there are a lot of people with these screen memories or with these pieces of it that they can't identify. And it's this quest to try to understand it as a people. And this is what we're dealing with. 
Yeah, and um, one thing that you touched on in the film that I, th I think gives credence to the UFO phenomenon, but also contact, because I know you touch on C CE3, CE4, and C5. Um, you, you touched on the schoolyard encounters a little bit, which mm. are, are very interesting. I think there was one in Brazil. There was one in Australia. There was one in South Africa. And the, when I say schoolyard encounters, I say these are uh, – and John can probably elaborate a little bit more, but like to the audience, these are encounters where – supposedly children have been on the playground or wherever and they've had schoolyard encounters with ets or you know or whatever they are entities from somewhere yeah. from another yeah. realm um what are your thoughts on the schoolyard encounters do you think they give us any credence to um uh whatever this is or, or that, that, that it's something that's it's, that it's happening besides sure. besides our own experiences and stuff like that sure sure well first of all i one of the most famous one is the one in zimbabwe and uh, there was a, a brilliant documentary made strictly about that. And there have been all kinds of news articles. And um, these kids, they were out in the middle of the day at recess. And uh, some middle school kids saw a disc. And they saw it come down. And they saw entities. And they had communication with these entities. And then more kids came over. And there were teachers involved and everything else. And, and, and there were reports from the government and newscasters and all this other stuff. So, I mean, it was re it's a real thing that happened. They, they don't completely understand it, but it changed a lot of people's lives. So one of the things that fascinated me about that was, was the, the interaction with children. I was wondering why that happened. And then through my research, and we, we illustrated in the film, there were, I think, nine or ten of these, and they were all over the place. They happened in Florida. They happened in South Africa, as we talked about. They happened in um, Europe. They happened in... Um, in Scotland, there were quite a few in Scotland. There was in in Russia, and these were all the same kind of situation. They're kids. They're either in the playground or they're going to or from school. There's a silver disc. There are these entities. There's this communication, and there are these messages that come through, and these messages are things that kids wouldn't even understand. Basically, you know, almost almost beyond peradventure, the message is almost the same. That listen. This planet is precious. Take care of where you live. I'm not talking about being a tree hugger, but just understand that you're in a precious place. You should take care of it. You know, you buy a new car, you'd probably wash it. You'd probably wax it, right? Same sort of idea. Okay, people are precious. Life is precious. So cherish the people around you. You know, understand that communication with each other is more, is more profitable if it's done in love and understanding as opposed to hate, because all we do is destroy, we destroy. Think about this, we destroy our environment, we destroy our relationships, we destroy each other, you know, uh, and that's considered good and powerful. And then also this other idea that we are all one. And, you know, I, I, I talk about this, and this is kind of a delicate subject because people get upset about it. Well, what, think about it this way. Once again, there are kind of three buckets of people, you know. You got people who are very religious, and they say, look, everything is the result of a creator God, right? That's what they say. And I happen to be in that bucket. I believe in Yahweh and his son Christ, Jesus. Okay, so they got that bucket. Then you have these people who are, you know, pseudo-intellectuals or whatever, and they believe in intelligent design, right? They say, look, it looks like we're in a matrix and there we might be in some sort of paradigm that's coded. We might be in a simulation. 
Okay, but they believe in a coder or a creator of that sort, this, this intelligent designer. And then you have people who are, you know, completely atheistic. They don't believe in anything. They don't believe, okay, but they believe in, say, the Big Bang. And so think about that situation. In all three of these cases, look at the threat. Every one of them has a source, okay? We would call it different things, but every one of us think of it as a source. And so the atheists will say, this is a big bang. I said, what I say to these people who are, and you talk about skeptics, so these are the ultimate skeptics. They don't believe in anything. They don't believe that you exist or I exist, right? Okay. So I say to them, I say, well, think about this. If the big bang is the creation of everything, right? Then everything that came out of it is part of that creation, is part of that source, right? So that means that Robert you are made of the same stardust as I am, right? So is this my car? So is my home? So is your home? So are your friends and family? We're all part of that same source, right? And by the way, let's even take it a step further. That means that they, or they, or they, or they, are also part of that same source. So in a way, we are all one. And that is kind of, I think, the overreaching philosophical idea. Because watch this. Your hand is one, right? So is your thumb more important than your pinky? Yeah, you could argue back and forth. Okay. But if you take your thumb away, that's no longer a hand, right? It's less than a hand, right? So the idea is, is that if you take care of where you live and you take care of each other, then you remain whole, right? You remain complete. But if you destroy, if you take away, if you cut out, then it's less than perfect, if you if that makes sense. No, a hand without a thumb is less than perfect, right? So all of this stuff, the thing that gives it credence, as you said, is this. These messages were given to kids who were like 7, 8, 10, 12. They have no concept of this. And also, this happened back in the 30s and the 40s. There was, I think the know, Zimbabwe counter happened in the uh, in the 70s or 80s because those kids are now, they're now our age. And what I was going to say yeah. was interesting about that is because um, they their story hasn't changed over time. Right? No, and it no, wasn't, no, and no. it wasn't in the Zimbabwe case. It wasn't just the teachers that saw it. It was the, I mean, it wasn't just the students that saw it. The teachers saw it too. Yes. So yes. th this is like a landmark case. I don't know why it's not talked about more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, well, I think I do to, have an to idea be honest with you, I, I, think, yeah, sorry, I, I just think, no, no, it's okay, brother. Listen, I, I think we're, we're in the same idea. I think people are, look, you know, okay, bright shiny lights in the sky, you're crazy. Okay, uh, bright shiny lights that come down, you're crazy. Bright shiny lights that have people inside them, okay, you're crazy, but I can get that far. Bright shiny lights that have people inside that get out and they take you, this is blasphemy. Bright shiny lights that come down, people come out and they take our kids. That is verboten, man. This is too close. This because our kids are ours, right? This and if we can't protect our children, this is something that will make us insane. And I honestly believe that's why I don't talk about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't think the government can protect us. Honestly, I, I really no. don't. Like, you know, no. I don't think they were ever able to stop it. I don't think they can stop it because I, I, I don't think no. they, nobody understands it. Right? Come back to like the whole. I don't think I don't think anybody understands what's going on. I, I, I agree don't know. with you. I agree with um, you, Robert. Well, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I'm, oh, um, I just wanted to ask you. What if I, I think I asked you this before? What was it like meeting Whitley Strieber? I'm a big fan of his work, and I think he's done. Sure. A 
you know, a lot. I mean, like his wife, Anne, was such an amazing person. His wife, Anne, was the person who edited all the communion letters. I mean, um, yeah. you know, she was a genius. Uh, I mean, like she she passed away. And uh, but I, I'd love to interview Whitley sometime. I, you know, I reached out to him. He never got back to me. But like, I think that's because I'm not big enough yet. I think so maybe <laughs> hopefully someday it'll happen. But what was sure. it like meeting Mr. Strieber? Sure. Uh, well, I'll tell you a silly little story. Uh, it'll probably take us out of the hour here. So um, I made the film, right? And uh, it was hard for me, emotionally taxing for me. And I'm of two minds when I watch the film. I'm like, okay, I'm an experiencer telling the true story of what happened to me. But I'm also a filmmaker. So I can see it through the eyes of somebody who's emotionally involved, but also somebody who's a professional. Go, And I said, my film is unbalanced. It's too harsh. It's too hard for people to watch. Nobody's going to be able to get through it. And I realized that I kind of needed a counterpoint, um, a place for the audience to go, oh, my God, this is emotional. And then have this moment to kind of recalibrate what they've just seen and understand it through a different lens and kind of, you know, gestate the idea. And I thought, who can I get? And I, I, I as you, I, I thought there's nobody else in this space who's thought more about this, who's written more about alien abduction than Whitley Strieber. So I wanted to get him. I, I, I didn't know him, of course. And so a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend was able to somehow get him on the phone with me. And I have to tell you, and this is the, it, it's going to be funny. Trust me. At the beginning, you don't think it is, but trust me. So uh, we're on the phone. We're having a conversation and he's tough on me, man. He's really tough. I've worked with some of the biggest stars in the world you know, commercial stars and film stars. And I don't know that I've ever been that kind of challenged before. And I thought, man, uh, you know, I don't, I don't understand that. What's this about? You know, now I understand, as I told you, you know, I have been around a little bit now and I've been approached by the mermaid people. And I think that he was afraid that I might be a mermaid person. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, he I, was well, can I just elaborate on what you mean? Like, he means like people who are like a little bit new agey and they go a little bit far with the phenomena. They make up things like that, like a lot of stuff exists that might not. Is that kind of where you're going with that? Well, well, yeah, yeah. And you know, like you know, they they decide that everybody should live naked and everybody should you know communal love and you know just like hippies of this world, you know. And, 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 and also, look, God bless them. In every field, it doesn't matter if you're in politics, if you're in finance, there are people with mental illnesses, right? But two things can be true. You can have people with mental illnesses who also have experiences, or you can have people who have experiences who have no mental illness at all. So, but it's just, it's conflated. So it's difficult. And so Willie Strieber was going to, I was trying to get him to commit to do a film and he wanted to make damn sure I wasn't a crazy person, right? So, I'll go on with the story. Anyway, so he's pretty tough on me. And so what I do is I say, well, listen, sir, how about this? How about I write the questions and I'll send them to you, you know, for your review. Then you can tell. So then what I did was, Robert, you'd be very proud of me. I went out and I bought every book that he had ever written. All of his fiction, all of his serious stuff, all of his alien stuff. And I read them all. And I came up with like 63 questions. Send them to him. He came back to me and he was a little impressed. I have to tell you, he said, listen, man, these, some of these questions are pretty in depth. I, I don't think I've ever been asked these things. And I said, well, sir, I'm taking this very seriously. So he agrees to do it. I fly out to the West coast and I want to meet him, you know, before we do the interview, I want to build like some sort of rapport. So we're not stiff on camera. You know what I'm saying? So we have dinner that night with a bunch of people and 
he is totally different. He is funny. He's sarcastic. He tells great stories. He picks on me, which I just laughed my head off. I just thought that was hysterical. And mm. so, so we go to do the shoot the next day. And I have a big crew, you know. Another difference between my film and other people's film is I do this for a living. Most most people who do films for UFOs, they're like two guys named Larry and they got a camera, right? But I, you know, I got all the toys and the best editors and, and you, know what I'm you know what I'm talking about, man. You've seen them. Okay, but this is what I do for a living. So the film looks like a movie, right? Uh, so he sees my big crew and he's like, wow, this, you know, this is impressive. And and so we get everything right. We get the pictures right. We get the camera right. We get the lights right. And, I, and I'm leaning down to him and I say, Mr. Streber, I just want to tell you something. I want to say to you that I'm going to make you look perfect. There are not going to be any whammies here, sir. I, you know, questions are the questions. And, and he looks up at me and he grabs my arm and he says, John, I, I don't give a damn how I look. I, I frankly don't care. All I want to do is tell the truth. And I thought, man, what integrity this guy has. You know, like when I grow up, I want to be you, that type of thing. And um, we went through, it was a very long interview. And what I did was two things. Number one, I sent him the entire tape. I said, look, sir, if we've covered something that you don't want me to, or you think it's crap, I want you to ax it and we won't put it in the film. He came back to his credit, no cuts. Then what I did was I said, look, I'm going to insert you in the film throughout, you know, because you're going to be that counterpoint that kind of explains what's going on. And if you find that I've taken you out of context or something like that, I want you to say, hey, that's not what I meant. To his credit, once again, he said, no, listen, John, you put it in exactly where it needs to be. It's very compelling. It's right. And so he, when I say that Whitley Strieber is in this film, I want you to know he completely puts his imprimatur on it. Also, another thing about Mr. Strieber, Mr. Strieber accepted zero money to do this film. Zero, zero money. All the people in this film, accepted zero money. These are people who are telling the truth about real experiences. The final thing I'll tell you about Mr. Streber is this, you know, we're, I, I want to, I don't want to say we're friends because that would be an overreach, but I would tell you that we're very friendly, right? Because the film opens up in new markets and I tell them and I call them, we, we but I can't, because I respect him so much, I can't call him Whitley. I have to call him Mr. Streber. And he delights in that so much. He picks on me and makes fun of me. And I think that's hysterical. <laughs> so uh, that's my story about Whitley Streber. Yeah, He's I just wanted guy. to say that's why I respect the experiencers so much. And I love having experiencers on my show because, like yourself and other experiencers, because, like, usually they're just really down to earth, good people, and they're not looking yeah. for fame. They're looking to get their story out. And, and that's why I feel like this gives us credence. I don't think it's sleep paralysis. You know, no. I don't know if we live in a simulation. I don't know what's going on, but I know something is going on with this. Like, I don't know. And that's why I keep chasing it. Like, it's like a drug. You know what I mean? And I'm chasing yeah. this drug and I, I'm never getting the high because like yeah. I keep chasing it and chasing it because I'm not getting answers. I mean, I'm yeah. getting answers, but there's something to this over here and there's something to that over there. I just wish I had the truth. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't know if yeah, I'll ever but, have the truth. Yeah, but Robert, well, what is the truth? Let, let, let me Let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. You know, I, I don't think that, you, and this has nothing to do with you, this has to do with me, us, people. I don't think that I will ever have the truth or you will ever have the truth. You know, I've used this example before. You know, if you take three of the smartest people and you throw them in a dark room and say, hey, what's in there? And somebody says, oh, it's a spear. No, it's a, a whip. No, what are you talking about? It's a, it's a boulder. You turn on the light, it's this elephant, right? So 
couple things. Number one, we've already said these are the smartest people in the world. So they're not lying and not playing some game. They're telling you their honest experience and also as much as their arms can wrap around it and as much as they can digest and as much as they can use language to share with somebody else. Okay, but what is the truth? Well, each one of them have a piece of the truth, but what's the lesson for us? The lesson is it takes all of us all three of those people and their experiences and their observations and their shortcomings and all of these things to counteract with each other, to discuss it, to really get to the bottom of it. Because the truth is, it is an elephant. It's not a spear. It's not this. It's not this. We are searching for something and we're trying to wrap our hands around it. If I said to you, when's the last time you tasted air? Right? You can't see air. You know it's there, but the truth of the matter is the only way you know it's there is because you can see the effect of air. You can see trees bend. You can feel air, but you can't see it. Does that mean it doesn't exist? When, when I talk to people who think that there's absolutely nothing to it, I say to them, I say, look, you think this is paranormal. It's really not. It's really not. Here is my absolute proof, right? You have good eyes. I have good eyes. You can see maybe two miles, right? Three miles. If we had a hawk or an eagle, they could say 10 miles or 15 miles. Okay, is that supernatural? Or is that completely natural? And they have better filters than we have. Okay, before they used to think there were no planets anywhere except the Earth. Then we found out there were planets throughout the solar system. Now we find out that there are planets all around the universe. Why? We have better filters. And this is what's happening. We, our technology is accelerating. But the problem for us, or the challenge for us, is to make sure that our minds and our souls and our spirits and our consciousnesses keep time with that. You know, all tools yeah. can be used, can be used wrong. And we have to, I say all the time about this, I say, look, my film is not about, or not so much about the bright, shiny lights in the sky. It's more about you, Robert, me and your audience, us as people, us as consciousness, us as souls. And the reason in, and my proof is this, watch, when those lights blink out, which they do, right? There's only us left. So we have to decide what's going on. We have to decide how to act. We have to decide, are we going to make war? Are we going to observe? Are we going to learn? Are we going to try to understand? We. It's not going to just be me. It's not going to be you. This film is about us. And I hope everybody sees it because I think, I think it will speak to them individually. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Um, well, uh, th thank you so much for doing this. This was amazing. And uh, if you could tell everybody, I put a link to the film in the description. I put the Amazon sure. link to the film in the sure. description. Sure. But um, well, if you could tell everybody where to find you and all that stuff. Sure, or, and, sure, sure. They, my name is John Yost, Y-O-S-T. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, anything. You can Google me and find me all over the place, IMDb. The film is called Alien Abduction Answers in America and uh, and also um, Canada. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on YouTube. It's on Google Play. It's on Spectrum. It's on every cable. Also, if you're international right now, you can go to kgraradio.com and there's a link that you can stream it there if you're in Belgium, if you're in Germany or wherever. Um, 
and it'll be available internationally in, in other streaming areas uh, this autumn. I'm working on another film right now called Alien Abduction Awakening. The idea is this, my first film took us or takes, or hopefully takes the viewer from ignorance. And I don't mean that as a pejorative, I mean ignorance like not knowing, okay? And we're in the dark. So taking people from ignorance and fear and shepherding them that through that to some sort of understanding. Look, I people yell at me all the time about the name, Alien Abduction Answers. Oh, you're Mr. Answer Man. No, no, that's not it. It's me searching for the answers and, and the audience and me finding them together. So the second film, Alien Abduction Awakening, is we have some of these answers now. So now we can integrate that information and start to make decisions. If you think about it this way, you've walked into a room where you saw like a shadow in the corner, kind of startled you. You turn on the light and you see it's your, it's your coat over the chair or something, right? Okay, well, now you don't have to be afraid, but now you can make decisions because you've integrated that information. You can say, look, I'm going to hang that damn thing up, right? So you'll never be scared again. Or you could also say, listen, I'm never going to go in that room again. That's probably not very productive, but that's a choice. You have integrated the information. You can make choices. And so what the point is, is that after you come to this idea of what's going on in your own life and the world, you can start to make decisions. And that's what that second film's about, Alien Abduction Awakening. And I'm in pre-production right now on that. Oh well, I, I you know like we I you know, I have to have you back on when you uh when you um when you put it out. Well, Angela from the chat wanted to know: Did you film with Netflix? I guess they have a show out. I didn't even know they had a show. I don't watch Netflix, but did you know about that? They have some kind of alien abduction show. Did you did you have anything uh, to do with that? Well, well, I'll just tell you this: What had happened was they had seen the success of my film, and they reached out to me to see if I would participate in their film, uh, and their show that they're going to do, and they're in process of doing. And it just didn't work out. I think what they thought was is that they wanted to control. They have a narrative in mind. See, that's the difference between, say, a big corporate entity and me is this. They have an answer that they want to get to. So what they do is they take all this information that guide and they'll edit it, edit it, edit it to get to that information. For me, I was like, I have no idea. Wherever this takes me, takes me. So when you see the, these interviews and all this other stuff, you're going to see raw interview. I didn't change it. I didn't cut them. I didn't, you know, ask them questions to make my answer. No, no, whatever they say. And you'll see that some of these people have a little similarity to my experience, but most of them have vastly different ones. And that's the point that this I, is an experience for all of us. I think that's huge because, and I know we, we don't have a lot of time, but I just wanted to say that's huge because like the, 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 the corporate entity is always trying to come to their own narrative that they want people to believe. You know what I mean? They, that's just kind of like how they roll, you know, like yes. that's like, that they're always trying to. So that's why I like your film. It's more raw and uncut. And like, I mean, it's, it's very professionally done. It's a great movie. And oh, by the way, guys, his film's $3 on YouTube. I mean that you can't beat that. That's like the price of a Starbucks coffee. It's less than yeah. the price of a Starbucks coffee. It's like three ninety nine or something. So, Go grab it. And uh, and thank you, John. This was awesome. Thank you, brother. So nice to see you again. Blessings to you and your audience. I thank you. All right. Uh, and uh, th uh, thank you, guys. Have a good night, everyone. Until tomorrow. All right. <laughs>